What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Monkey Financial Podcast. Today, we're going to be recording episode number 49. We're going to be going over the Monkey 10-step plan to financial freedom. Uh, now, let me preface this podcast by saying this 10 steps is just something that I sat down uh, as I was writing my book, um, trying to explain to people my journey and how I got to where I got to, right? Uh, four years ago, I was drowning in consumer debt, uh, didn't have any retirement accounts, didn't have any investment accounts, to now, um, four years later, I have assets upwards of half a million dollars now, my net worth's over 370000 and I kind of want to share with you guys how I got here and kind of the 10 steps that I took um, to get here. So the first thing that I did, uh, even before I started on my uh, journey to financial freedom, is I figured out my net worth. Um, and I talk about this a lot. I've made a few videos about net worth, but why it's important. Um, I try to track it at the very least once a year. Sometimes I, as it's growing quickly, I kind of get to tracking it every month, but it's kind of overkill, at least once a year. But what a net worth does, um, especially if you're starting... Uh, your financial freedom journey is it gives you a starting point, right? It tells you where you are in life. Now, it doesn't mean that if you have a bad net worth that you're not doing well in life. There's more things to life than money. But in terms of financial freedom, this gives you a starting point. So my net worth uh, in 2017 was negative, negative $14,200. And the only reason I knew this is because Earlier that year, I lost my job, and I was kind of forced to take um, odd-end jobs that you know I, I usually wouldn't do, but at that point, I was desperate. So I figured at the end of the year, I just wanted to see where I stood financially because I had a few years of, of good earnings, uh, but not a lot to show for it, and I was shocked that I was negative. And the sad reality is I think a lot of us um, if you're new to this financial uh, freedom uh, journey, you're probably going to be somewhere negative, especially if you went to college and you have student loans. It's kind of almost a given you're going to be negative. But um, nobody, uh, very few people start off with like a positive $50,000 net worth. There are some unicorns out there um, that I've heard of that, you know, they're 18 or 20 and they're talking about Roth IRAs. But for the most part, most of us in our 20s and early 30s, expect to have our net worth be somewhere negative. But that's the first step, right? And once you figure out your net worth, you're going to then move on to step two. And what I did after that is I, I created a budget. Yeah, that's the B word. I, I dropped the B word. Now, I don't use a budget anymore. Um, but I think it was important uh, to get on a budget for the first time in my life in 2018. Um, because without a budget, you're kind of just freelancing it, right? Like you're throwing money into all sorts of things that you have no idea where it's going though. Like at the end of the month, you might get a credit card statement and you're like, did I really, did I really spend $3,000? That just seems like, that seems a lot. I didn't do that, but you did, right? That's what happens when you do a lot of mindless spending and a budget. I know it's a, it sounds like a boring thing, but it, in the beginning, at least, at least for the first six months to a year, as you're getting started on your financial journey. After that, you can stop budgeting. Once I became debt-free, I stopped budgeting. But 
if you're in debt, you should definitely be on a budget. But even if you're out of debt, um, or if you only have like a mortgage, you should still at least create a six, uh, a budget for six months just to get into a better uh, spending habits. Because sometimes um, the Amazons and the uh, subscriptions online and uh, click here, tap your phone to pay here, those things add up. Now, should you go like a bare bones bottom budget uh, where you don't buy the two or three dollar coffee? Is there a three dollar card? I think coffee's five bucks now. Thanks a lot, of inflation. Do you do you skip every five dollar coffee purchase? And will that really make a difference? Probably not. Um, I think a budget just gives you a better overall picture of your spending, and it puts you in a in a box to play play within. Right? You allocate all your money. This is where it's gonna go. And that's the game plan. And then you just go execute and it just simplifies stuff, right? It's not a guessing game. Now, for me, I like doing a few different types. I've tried out different types of budget. I've done the the cash envelopes, right, where you put cash in all these different envelopes, groceries, um, clothes, whatever the case may be. You put uh, cash in these envelopes. Once you're restaurants, eating out, food, all that stuff, once you're done, you're done. Um, you know, if you tap out your restaurant budget, you ain't going to a restaurant the rest of the month. And that works and it doesn't because you could cheat and you can steal from other envelopes and depends on how disciplined you want to be, right? I used a little bit of a different approach. I used a pay myself first approach to create a zero sum budget where off the top, I would either pay myself or pay off debt and leave enough money for myself to spend the rest of the month where I can't overspend. And, you know, because I didn't use credit cards or I stopped using credit cards, I I couldn't rely on a credit card to overspend. So that type of budget worked better for me. But every every system, there's thousands of systems online now. I feel like people are creating any system that works for you as far as creating a budget, stick to it. I know now you can, like, do the the mobile apps where they'll track it for you, which is even better. Whatever it is, as long as you write, sit down, write everything out and understand where you're spending money because I think that's very important. Step three to financial freedom, at least for me, was to pay off high interest debt. I, I took it a step further and I paid off all my debt. Um, you don't have to go that crazy, right? Like if you have a 2, two to 3% mortgage, 4% mortgage, if you have a 2 to 3% car loan, you don't have to pay it off. Maybe the car loan you should just because the the thing is dropping in value. So not only are you losing money to the value of, of the asset that you own, but you're also losing money to the interest that you're paying on it. But for sure, credit cards, um, for sure, anything above uh, what I qualify as high interest is if, if it's higher than what the average um, real return of the stock market is. So, you know, stock market, give or take, gets 10%. That's nominal returns, but if you look at real returns after inflation, you're looking at about seven and a quarter, seven to seven and a quarter, right? So if your interest rate is eight, um, you should probably pay it off. If your interest rate's five, I would still pay it off, but uh, at least you know five, depending on you know the returns in the market, you could still potentially do better in the market. So yeah, there is that math argument, but all high interest debt must be paid off uh, if you're going to reach financial uh, freedom what studies tend to show is people who have reached financial freedom, when you look back and you say, what have they done? Uh, most of them are, are people that budget. Most of them are people who don't have uh, high interest debt. Most of them are people that 
have paid off their mortgages. Now, again, I was in the boat of of being 100% debt-free, and then I just got another mortgage. So 2.5% interest, right? So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I can take this 2.5% mortgage and pay it off probably within five years, or I can use that excess and invest it. I'm choosing to use the excess cash and invest it and be on the trajectory that I am to pay off my 15-year mortgage in 15 years. But you know, if, if you did, let's say you're older in life, you're 50, and if you did want to attack paying off your mortgage, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, that will help get you towards financial freedom. But more importantly, it's going to help give you a peace of mind. It's one less monthly bill that you have coming in. And that's really report, important when you think about once you reach retirement, if you don't have enough retirement income coming in, it's a lot better that you have one less bill, which for most people, if not all of us, our mortgage is our highest monthly obligation. So um, I'm on that boat for you, for you uh, people that want to pay off your mortgage. I'm not going to tell you not to. Uh, and for those of you that don't want to pay off your mortgage because you want to invest the difference, I'm not going to tell you not to. Both make sense for, for different scenarios. So after step three, let's go ahead to step four. That is to create an emergency fund, a three to six month emergency fund. Now, I I think, yeah, this last episode, episode 48, I spend that entire episode talking about emergency funds, why they're important, why you should have one, what happened to me when I didn't have one. I had to liquidate 20 freaking thousand dollars in my, uh, in my S&P 500 fund. Still not happy about that, but... That's what happens, boys and girls. If you don't have emergency funds, eventually an emergency will happen. If you're sitting low on cash, you're going to have to liquidate assets. Now, I know this is a good problem to have. This isn't like um, a real emergency. All I had to do was push a sell button, and the next day I had $20,000 in my account. Boo-hoo for me. But I think it's important that you keep this emergency fund in cash for these unforeseen future expenses because it's, it's, it's the times when we need money the most that we don't have it it's just uh murphy's law right when 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 you're when you're least expecting something murphy shows up and uh it never fails happened to me i'm a real life example of now following my own advice and uh, i'm working hard now to replenish my emergency fund that i'm just going to keep in my credit union savings account and i'm not going to touch it but this step four while it does seem wasteful to keep all that money in cash remember it's only three to six months of your expenses not three to six months of your salary, three to six months of your expenses. So if you're spending $3,000 a month, so I'm, I'm in the range of three to 4,000 a month now that I'm spending uh, that if it's uh, three months, then that's going to be 12 grand. If it's six months, it's going to be uh, 24 grand. So it's not like a whole bunch of your net worth is going to be tied up in this emergency fund. It's going to be a very small amount. And like I mentioned in the previous episode, um, Sometimes you can get away without having one if you have like a pretty big taxable account. Like my taxable account was approaching a hundred thousand, so I had a bigger one. So, you know, I got lucky. The market was still at all time highs when I liquidated it. But you could be in a position where you're in like a fifty percent market crash and you're trying to liquidate your emergency fund with your positions down, and then you're just, you know, you're just stabbing yourself in the foot. So, always important to have an emergency fund. After that, step five. Um, is to take advantage of the 401k match. Now, this one um, is really, really important for, for us young younger folks, but it's important for everybody, right? So if you have an employer who offers you a 401k 
and they're giving you some sort of incentive, some sort of match. They say, hey, uh, if you want to contribute, we're going to help you out. We're going to match 3% or 5%. You need to take advantage of that because that is the best return you will ever, ever get on your money, right? So if you put in, let's say, 100 bucks and your employer matches that 100 bucks, all of a sudden you put in 100 but now you have $200. That's a 100% rate of return on your money. Um, guaranteed, essentially. Well, not guaranteed. I guess it, it can fluctuate in the market up and down. But for the most part, if you put in 100 bucks or whatever the percentage your employer is willing to match up to, um, you will get that match, and that is a 100% rate of return. That's free money. That's like me dangling a $20 bill and saying, if you give me a 20, I'll turn around and give you a 40. Why not double your money? It's it's that simple, and that's what the employer does for you. Now, of course, there's benefits to the employer from the tax side, but don't worry about that. This is something you should be doing anyways. You should be saving for your retirement account. This is a good incentive that employers offer. If your employer offers this, you have to take advantage of this. Even though it's step five here on my order of operations, you can essentially be doing this while you're paying off debt, and I would recommend you do at the very minimum the match even while you're paying off debt, because it's not going to be a lot of money. Like most of most employers are going to offer a 3% match, give or take, that's a few hundred bucks a month. So it's not going to be a lot of money as far as uh, how much is going to be missing from your paycheck. But the fact that you're getting that 100% rate of return immediately, that's going to be very important. I probably should have put this higher in the list. Uh, moving on to step number six, you need to open up a Roth IRA. And you've probably heard this before. For those of you that are uh, well on your financial freedom journey, you probably already have one. But a Roth IRA is an individual retirement account that you put in after-tax dollars, so money that you received in in your from your paycheck, and you put it in into a, a retirement account called a Roth IRA, and that money grows tax-free for the rest of your life. Now, the reason this is important is there is no invest. Well, there's only one other investment. Well, there's two other investments that I know. Uh, the HSA is one, but we'll talk about that later. There's no other vehicle that can help you grow tax-free dollars. Usually, the government wants to get their hand on the pie, right? If you make some money, the government wants some of your money. I recently heard, by the way, Peter Thiel, uh, the uh, co-founder of Palantir, he's got $6 billion in his Roth IRA can you imagine $6 billion of tax-free money? The way he went about doing it, I guess, is a little bit shady, but he was a venture capitalist, and he put in uh, essentially all these uh, startup companies into his Roth IRA when you know PayPal was worth a few pennies, uh, when Facebook wasn't worth a lot, when Palantir wasn't worth a lot. He put these startup companies into his Roth IRA, and of course, they've all become tech giants, and now he's got uh, six billion dollars in his Roth IRA, but we're not all Peter Thiel's out here. Um, $6,000 is the contribution. If your income uh, qualifies you for it, there is some uh, phase out incomes there. You can look that up on the irs.gov website, but this is so important, guys. This is how you become a tax-free millionaire. You know, if you do it, uh, let's say you do it through your traditional 401k, well, uh, depending on your tax bracket, you might have a million dollars, but then when you start to pull on it, you essentially have to give about a quarter away to the government. So instead of a million dollars, you have 750000 
If you do it in a taxable account and you have long-term gains, then you're going to be given it back at a 15%. So if you have a million, you really have 850000 But in a Roth IRA, if you have a million dollars in there, you have a freaking million dollars. There is no taxes owed and it is so important. Step number seven, kind of like a Roth IRA, but this is a 529 education account for your kids. College is expensive. I don't know if it's going to get cheaper or not, but it's expensive and it's important if you have little ones that you're saving something away for their college. Now, 529 plans are pretty uh, complex. A lot of states have in-state 529 plans that they offer uh, that sometimes give you a, a tax break uh, on the contributions, like the state that I'm in in Illinois, they have that. Uh, some states don't. You're going to have to do the research. 50 states, I can't do the research for you. That's something you're going to have to do. Uh, but if your state does offer some kind of tax break where you get it to write off your contribution, essentially, from your state taxes, that's good to take advantage of. But then uh, on the back end, as long as you use this for educational expenses, you get to uh, basically grow this money in here tax deferred and then when you use it for education expenses it's federally uh income it's federally tax-free so it's kind of like a roth ira but not really because it can only be used for education but again very important that you have that set up for your kids and a little amount goes a long way right you can start off with a couple of hundred bucks a month uh for a newborn and you'll probably have by the end by the time they turn turn 18 you should have somewhere around 80 or 60 to eighty thousand. if you do 500 bucks i believe you're gonna have something around like 130,000 after they turn 18 so you know this is very important so that you don't repeat the cycle right we're trying to reach financial independence but then we're trying to build our kids up and teach them about financial independence and leave some sort of legacy behind and the way you do this is is by funding your kids college accounts so that when they go to school they don't have to take on debt and they can get and their starting point after they graduate is going to be in a much better position than what our starting point was um, in our generation where we did have to take on a lot of debt. So very important. Uh, step eight is going to be to max out all tax advantage accounts. And this is where the HSA comes into play. Now, HSA is a health savings account. Not everybody qualifies for one. You're going to have to have like a high deductible uh, medical a plan through your employer to qualify for one. Most people qualify for HSAs through their employer. Uh, me and my wife have a family HSA uh, contribution limit, seventy-two or seventy-four hundred. I forget now. Uh, you want to max that out. Now, this account, the HSA, is something that's probably better than the Roth because the money that goes in there is pre-tax, so you never pay taxes on it it's before uh, they deduct taxes from your check. And then the money that grows in there can grow tax-free as, as long as you use it for medical expenses. So in, in step seven, we talked about 529s for kids' colleges. In step eight, we're talking about for medical expenses. Now, unlike the kids' college account, the, the 529 you have to use for education expenses. Uh, and even if you retire, <laughs> you have to use it for educational expenses. Otherwise, you, you have to pay taxes and the penalty on it this hsa once you retire you could technically use it for whatever the frick you want tax-free uh so one of the nice benefits of this some people just pile money into this like a second roth ira some people are saving money for actual medical expenses um we have kind of a 50 50 system we had a kid this year and the hospital bill was outrageous 
my HSA covered all of it. So I keep about 50% in cash in there that I use for medical expenses. And then I invest 50% uh, of the money that's in there. And it's been growing pretty good. I started doing that in 2019. And um pretty happy with the balance that's grown in there already. Um, I put a lot of it in small cap value in, in 2020 and it's done good. So you want to max out your HSA. You want to max out your Roth IRA. You want to ma- not max out. There's no way to max out the 529, but you want to be putting away enough to have college funded for your kid. You want to go back to your 401k and look for either a uh, Roth 401k if your employer offers it. If not, the regular 401k is fine. Um, Make sure you're in index funds, by the way, in your 401ks. Don't be in any actively managed uh, mutual funds in there. And then once you've maxed all that out, some, not all, but some 401k options have like an after-tax additional contribution outside of the 401k, outside of the 19.5 limit for the 401k. I think that limits up to 56,000. And take advantage of maxing those out. All those tax advantage, anytime you can get in a tax advantage account, You want to be taking advantage of it. And then step nine. Now, step nine, I was talking about earlier in the debt part, but step nine is to pay off your mortgage early. The reason I have it on this order of the the list is now if you're doing all these things, if you've gotten out of high interest debt, if you've gotten an emergency fund, you're taking advantage of the 401k match, you got the Roth IRA, you got the kids savings, You've maxed out all your tax advantage accounts. You're somewhere well on your way to financial independence so or financial freedom. So I put it here because I'm guessing you're a little bit older, right? You've been doing this for 5, 10, 15 years, and you're probably getting ready to approach retirement in the next 5 to 15 years. So I think it's it's very important to have your mortgage paid off before retirement. Like I mentioned, the biggest reason, again, is it's one less payment that you have to worry about in retirement. Um, and you, you want to go into retirement kind of lean, right? You want to trim all that fat uh, off off of your uh, monthly spending and you want to be as lean as possible because there will be times where you don't want to draw down on your portfolio if the market's kind of in the, in the crapper. But again, asset allocation, all that stuff has to do a lot with it too. So I'm not going to get into the details of that. This is just a strictly financial order of operations here. But uh, it's important, I think, to have your mortgage paid off before you hit financial freedom, before you hit retirement. Uh, and I'm associating financial freedom and retirement together. Just because you hit financial freedom doesn't mean you have to retire. Some of us, myself included here, I like what I do now. Um, I like running my own business. I like working whenever I want, being my own boss. I don't see the need to retire. So even when I become financially uh, independent, I don't see myself stopping what what I'm doing today, right? I'm still probably going to be doing the same things that I'm doing today. So just because I see retirement and financial freedom in the same uh, context, I guess, or I use them interchangeably, but some people are going to retire because they hate their job. Some people will keep working, whatever the case may be. But I think it's still for both of us in both scenarios, it's important that the mortgage is paid off. And step 10, step 10 is pretty easy. You reach financial freedom. You reach financial independence. Um, if you follow these nine steps, you're going to get there. And if you notice, none none of this stuff is complex to the sense like you don't have to worry about anything. You just have to focus on your game plan. Like you have to sit down, write the stuff out, get on the game plan, follow this, and you're going to get there. You don't have to pick 
the next hot fund, the next hot stock, cryptocurrency. You don't need to worry about that stuff. Uh, the investment of choice is broadly diversified, low-cost index funds, S&P 500, U.S. total market, total international, total bond, U.S. small cap value, funds like that, and you will get there. Uh, the other thing is in in investing, I think you're ca- in the beginning, not later on it's different, but in the beginning, your contributions matter more than your asset allocation. And I try to get this point across a lot. I built my first $100,000 in investments investing in FSKX, just one fund. And that helped me simplify stuff and it helped me focus on my contributions. My asset allocation was 100% one fund. And that wasn't a big deal. Um, I got there in less than a year and a half. I went from zero to 100,000. And then after I crossed 100,000, then I started focusing on asset allocation, adding the international, adding the, the, the U.S. small cap value. But trust me, that, that initial $100,000 contributions that you make matters a whole heck of a lot more than the funds that you're in. And I see a lot of people sometimes freak out and change funds and do these weird things that doesn't matter. That stuff, you should be more focused on putting money in your account following a a strategy or orders of operation, something similar to the one that I've just discussed. This is the one that I've personally followed and am still following, but you can make up your own. You can do it as as you go. I kind of lucked into this. This is just me piecing as I was doing my, my journey. I was just piecing a bunch of stuff together and reading and trying to educate myself. And, you know, I started, if you notice in the beginning, it was all focused on on uh, budgets and debt. That's because my first introduction to uh, financial freedom was Dave Ramsey. I read a few Dave Ramsey books, uh, listened to Dave Ramsey podcasts, and really got into Dave Ramsey stuff. And then later on, as you can see, my uh, focus shifted to uh, investing in 401ks and a retirement accounts. That's because I started reading John Bogle and JL Collins' Simple Path to Wealth. And... Uh, kind of got introduced to the investing side of things through them. And now that I do what I do and that I've kind of got, and not, by no means am I financially free yet, but that I've gotten to this point, um, I can kind of sit back, piece it all together and kind of create my own plan. And, and this is what it is. This is literally the steps that I took and followed to get to where I'm at today. So Thank you guys so much for listening to episode number 49. Next week, we're going to have a special guest coming on a podcast. It's been a long time. When was the last time I had a... I think DJ was my last guest. That was a long time ago. I don't remember what episode that was when DJ uh, schooled us on the on the TSPs. But um, it's been a long time since I had a guest. We're going to be bringing on a private member next week. Uh, I have no idea what we're going to be talking about yet. I've still... I still got to talk to him about that and see what the topic is going to be. But make sure you tune in next week uh, to uh, get to listen to me and somebody else uh, for a change. Chit chat it up with me. Thank you guys so much for listening on your way out. If you are listening on the Apple podcast, if you can please leave me a rating and review, that'd be very helpful. Um, The way you do that, if you just uh, go to the monkey finance show page, scroll down to the bottom, you should see a section that says rating and reviews. Uh, Five stars would be appreciated, but 
uh, rate me whatever you think I deserve. <laughs> and so far we have 19 ratings with 4.7 out of 5 stars. And then if you want to leave me a review as well, please do and I will read it live on the next episode. Thanks again for listening. And as always, remember, move obstacles, keep investing.